Wingers. This is Haley Hendricks, and I'm joined by one of my favorite wingmen, Dr. Stephanie Grant. And today we're coming to you from actually the Kings River. So you may hear some boats go yes. past in uh, go past us past us in the background, or maybe even some um, jet, skis. jet skis, or even some um, crop planes, some crop dusters. Yeah. So there might be all kinds of interesting ambient noise in the background, but that's that's where we're recording from today. So we'll just think of it as some podcast charm coming your way. So today we're going to talk to you about something that's just been weighing so heavily on our hearts. And we're going to take this opportunity to share with you this idea of blind spots. Probably something that a lot of you guys have been hearing um, through your social feeds, through the news podcasts that you've been listening to. So let's just jump in. There's so much to talk about. And obviously in a 30-ish minute podcast episode, we don't expect that we're going to be able to solve a 400-year-old problem. But you know, we acknowledge that it sure is time to take some steps in the right direction. So um, something else that has sort of been tossed around the intellectual community in the last few weeks and also is a great podcast episode on NPR's Code Switch, and which for those of you unfamiliar with what this term refers to, um, people, usually people of color and specifically black people who have to change the way that they speak depending on the social situation is sometimes referred to as code switching. So that is a very loose and oversimplified definition, but we'll put some links in our show notes on our Facebook and Instagram pages for more info on this topic. So on this podcast, Code Switch, um, it aired an episode this month titled Why Now White People? And since Stephanie and I are both white, uh, this was an interesting topic for us to include in this discussion on blind spots. So Stephanie, let's just start it out. Do you think white people are more engaged in this topic of systemic racism currently more than before? And why do you think that? Absolutely, I do. I think it's hitting closer to home. Mm -hmm. You know, most of us can put names and faces to people who have been affected. And the way we receive news now, in real time, now has a really big influence. And the fact that we have so many different ways to receive news, mm -hmm. so many different avenues, in including our smartphones, where, you know, there's a lot of times as the news is happening, people are video videoing it from their smartphone on the ground, you know, real time. Yeah, it's, it's just totally a different style of journalism, I think, yeah. than we were ever exposed to, you know, in our own youths or even in our adulthood up until this point. So yeah. it's, it's really kind of an exciting and incredible time for journalism. And I know, um, and part of my own experience about why I think, why now white people, mm -hmm. I think is probably connected to that too. So just seeing my friends on Facebook post about, you know, their reaction and their experiences surrounding the death of George Floyd, that really got my attention. And they were sharing personal stories and I feel like my empathy just kind of kicked into overdrive and I started to feel it. And, and I, and I want to just say start because I don't want to tout myself as, you know, this enlightened white chick around town who's got it all figured out and is trying to tell people how to do it. That's not me. I'm on a journey, everyone's on a journey, yeah, Mark, and I'm yeah. just describing where I'm at in my mm -hmm. journey. And my journey really began with starting to apologize to my black friends. And I felt so ashamed and guilty, and I couldn't like wrap my head around how the heck it took me 41 years to get here and to be able to just begin to start to empathize with the collective experiences 
that my black friends and their families have mm-hmm. lived through and continue to live through every single day. Um, but you know, we got to start somewhere and we've got to put one foot mm-hmm. in front of the other. So Steph, can you take us through a working definition of this idea of blind spots? Sure. Well, blind spots are those areas that we are completely unaware of mm-hmm. and they come from that constant input from our culture that shapes our attitudes. Dr. Robin D'Angelo, she talks about the socialization that happens over our lifespan that promotes the favoritism of lighter skin. Mm-hmm. So blind spots are sometimes referred to in the research as implicit bias okay. because we're not aware of them. In fact, Harvard University has a number of implicit bias surveys that you can take for free online. Mm-hmm. They're great. And we can post the link to these surveys in our podcast notes on our, our social media pages. Okay. So that, uh, you know, our listeners can take advantage of them. Did you say you took some of those? I did. And it was really enlightening for me. Like I thought, you know, I, you know, I don't have, I'm not, I don't have any type of, uh, you know, uh, bias or anything like that when it comes to even light skin, dark skin. And I realized that I do have biases and mm-hmm. it was really uh, I just think it's great for, for people to explore that. I know it's at Fresno State, I often have my students take some of those oh, surveys yeah. and then actually process their feelings about it. Uh, it's not easy work. In fact, it can be downright uncomfortable to start thinking about this stuff. Oh, I believe it. it. You know, because like, you know, it's something that really there, it's truly a blind, a blind spot. We're not aware of it. In fact, just reminds me of, you know, some of Dr. Brown's, Dr. Brene Brown's talks about how do we, how do we engage and um, even really cope with some of the dissonance and some of the feelings that come up for us? And we have to have open hearts and open minds and we've got to be brave, right? And mm-hmm. oftentimes when we start ta- having this dialogue, fear gets in the way oh, or we, yes. we posture, we, we shut down, we self-protect. Um, and, and, but really the way that we overcome that, the, the way that we kind of uh, mitigate, you know, our tendency to armor up and, and, and try to be in control and, and, and become defensive is just to stay curious. We've got to stay curious and really look at ourselves and, and think about um, our feelings and our thoughts and, and really challenge sometimes just the perspective, the lens that we're seeing the world through. Mm-hmm. Because like, as Dr. Angelo says, like we have been kind of socialized with this way of thinking yeah. from the time we were kids. Right. And we don't, in our culture, at school, and right. the books that we've read, and yes. we don't even really intentionally, we don't realize <laughs> that it's happening, right. that it happened. Right, you know? right. The canon, as they call it, right? Mm-hmm. The right. approved book list for, you know, your um, grade level English courses, your honors track English courses. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We, yeah. yeah, we have been socialized certainly in a certain way. And I know coming to realize this, it's, felt really shameful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so could you speak just for a second more on, I love what you said about the antidote um, to armoring up, which I'm really, you know, notorious for doing mm-hmm. is to stay curious. So what are some practical ways that our listeners could stay curious on this topic? Well, I think it's important that we, we listen to others to understand, not just from our own perspective, but mm-hmm. also trying to see it from their point of view and, and really pay attention, be mindful of our own response to that. Because mm-hmm. if we start, you know, if our, we can kind of feel our, you know, we're sweating and are just, we kind of are getting agitated Yes. to really think, okay, why am I, why am I responding in this right. way? Am I feeling defensive? Am I feeling like I'm being called 
a racist or, you know, I, I'm feeling shame right. and that type of thing. Because when we get into that kind of mindset, or we get into our body starts to react that way. We really can't uh, hear, listen to understand. And I, we really need to listen to understand. I think so. That's great. And, and I would say, I would add to that too, the stuff that you feel below the neck. Mm-hmm. So when you start to feel like your pulse quicken, yep. your hands get a little sweaty, you might, I might, my armpits are sweating right now recording <laughs> this episode, you guys, um, <laughs> you know, th- those are some of the things that um, your body is telling you that you're on the right track, right? You know, so when you feel that uncomfortableness that makes you shift in your seat, uh, stick with that guys. It sucks. Not going to lie. It sucks, but stick with that. Okay. So blind spots are kind of like biases Mm -hmm. that we can't see, or we don't recognize until someone points out. So Stephanie, can you give us an example of a blind spot, um, that you've recognized in your own life? Yes. So looking back to way back when I started graduate school, back in the day, I I really started with just that belief that we should all be colorblind and just love everyone. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area in a really diverse culture environment. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, you know, we just, you know, I I didn't see any of my, uh, any, you know, privilege that I had. I just saw that, you know, we all could work together and that God loves us all. So it truly was a blind spot at that time. And early in my social work grad school career, I was in this course where a teacher facilitated a privilege exercise. Okay. And what that is, basically, she had all the students kind of stand in a line, uh, you know, stand in a, in a horizontal line across the classroom, okay. in the middle of the classroom. And she started to ask some different questions. And they were all based on, you know, privilege and opportunity. So one of the questions was, you know, if you could walk into a drugstore and buy a Band-Aid that's mm. the color of your skin, mm-hmm. take a step forward. Mm-hmm. If your parents or one of your parents graduated from college, take a step forward. Mm-hmm. Um, if your first language was taught, you know, you entered school and they were speaking your language, your mm-hmm. first language, mm-hmm. you know, take a step forward. Yeah. And, and, um, and then there were questions about, you know, taking a step backwards, yeah. maybe the crime in your neighborhood, you lived in an area of high crime, take yeah. a step backwards. Yeah. And so at the end of this exercise, I was way up in the front of the class and some of my fellow students or most of my fellow students were way in the back. How did that feel? And it just, I almost honestly at the time felt like a little bit of shame, like, yeah. oh, you know, yeah. and I was just starting the master's program and just getting to know some of my, my uh, fellow students. And so, yeah, it kind of brought up like, that, you know, just really showed, pointed out the difference of my experiences. Mm-hmm. And then over the years, as I've listened and learned about the shared experiences of people of color, both mm-hmm. colleagues and uh, clients, wow, my eyes have been opened. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that people have a, often people have a very different experience yes. than I do. Yes, but you as, would never know it. Yeah, yeah because... Right of all of the sort of defensive armor like we were talking right, about. Right. And it's it's really, it's incredible when you start thinking mm-hmm. about it. Yeah, yeah. I know um, similarly, my first kind of like real awareness happened in grad school too, um, which probably speaks to yeah. our white privilege. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe a denial of awareness is a better way to put it. So I was taking a cross-cultural teaching seminar. My professor was Mm African-American and he continued to challenge me throughout the course to think deeper 
And I just couldn't, I didn't even know what he was talking about. And I felt like, oh, I'm so like ashamed to say this out loud, but I felt like I was a victim of reverse racism, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which by the way, you guys, not a real thing. Um, we can talk about that offline, but reverse racism is not a real thing. So I look at it now and I realize instead that I just couldn't see my blind mm-hmm. spots. And instead of trying, like he was encouraging me to do graciously, by the way, um, I just picked up this box body armor of defensiveness. And that was it. And uh, I realize now that my privilege, you know, was and really is still my blind spot. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to dig a little deeper into the term white privilege, because I have found the term white privilege can evoke a, a wide range of emotion in people and can Tons. be extremely off-putting to some people. And I even when I've had close, you know, dialogues with close friends and family, um, in the last few weeks, particularly. Exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Yep. But one interview I listened to explained it really well. They said people can often interpret the systemic issue of white privilege as a personal attack on their integrity, yeah. Yeah. basically calling them a racist. It's that shame. Yeah. Yeah. But for me, you know, it's really more about the systemic issue of racism versus, the, you know, the individual. And so um, what I, but how I like to just conceptualize it is, you know, I can go through my life and my day-to-day activities without even considering my race or color of mm-hmm. my skin. You mm-hmm. know, it's really insignificant yeah. to my experience. Right. And another way I've heard it said is my skin color isn't a problem for me most of the time. And I would argue, really, it's not a problem for me yeah. any of the time. Yeah. And so that is truly my white privilege. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about some real examples for our listeners here that may still be feeling uncomfortable with this type of language mm-hmm. that we're using because what we have you know, found on our journey is that empathy is key to understanding something that you haven't gone through, but it's a way that you can understand by validating what other people have gone through. So I think through kind of that lens, I've just felt a million light bulbs going off in the last month in my head. And so in conversations with black friends, with stories that I've read on social media, from podcasts that I've been listening to, shoot, even ideas from uh, General Goldfein and Chief Wright's Air Force Town Hall. Um, If you're in the military, we definitely encourage you Mm -hmm. to go um, to the Air Force Facebook page go over to their videos. You're going to have to scroll down quite a bit because they have just tons of content on there. But it was um, from the first week of June and it is their town hall between the two of them. There's a picture of the two of them is the the pixel. And um, it, it just really was such an awesome conversation and really actually painful to watch too at the same time. So here are some sentiments that Um, through those different avenues were sort of reiterated over and over. So the first one, when I walk into a room, I have to prove that I belong there. Mm -hmm. And I will say as a woman, like I've felt this sometimes, Mm -hmm. like when walking into a meeting and there's one of those long boardroom tables, and this mostly happens in the military, um, deciding if I'm going to sit at that table or if I'm going to sit in a chair along the periphery of the room. And uh, Cheryl Sandberg, it's Sandberg, right? I don't want to be giving this wrong. Okay. In her book, Lean In, she kind of talks about this too. So I can relate to it on that level, but I actually cannot relate to it in any type of social or personal level. So I've never, you know, walked into a party and had this horrible feeling like the record just skipped and everyone's like turned to stare at me or walk into a shop, you know, and feel like, people are watching me. They're going to think I'm going to steal something. Yeah. Yeah. Or I'm going to hurt them. 
Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've never had to, you know, to feel mm-hmm. that before. So that, that one was, you know, hard to hear. And then it was also one of those like, duh moments, you know, like, gosh, I've seen that happen, you know. Oh, in the background, we've got um, Chief Page. She's our mascot. So um, this adorable uh, golden retriever. No, she's a lab. Yellow lab. I'm so sorry. Facility therapy dog. She's our facility therapy dog out at our guard unit. Um, So if you hear some tippy tappy of the paws, that's just... That's um, Chief Page. That's Chief Page. She's our mascot and she's coming in to provide some support. Because like (laughs) I said, my armpits are real sweaty in this conversation. So um, Steph, you want to grab the next one? Sure. I don't feel comfortable running at night. And this was something that was articulated by Chief Wright in that town hall. Yeah. And Chief Wright, like he's like that's the he's the you know top chief of the Air Force. And yes. you know, that's a pretty uh, amazing yeah. role that he it, played. It's like a rock star is combined with a superhero, yeah. pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Yes. And so for him not to feel comfortable because of the color of his skin to run at night yeah. because of safety is yeah. in question. Yes. And and that I've been hearing that over and over again, mm-hmm. and that is just making me mad, you guys. Uh, the next couple were, I'm just kind of, kind of combined because I think they all share part of the same narrative. And that was, um, I'm afraid that when my son leaves the house that he won't come back. When my son gets older, he'll have to dress nicer to leave the house to make Mm -hmm. sure he stays safe. And when my son comes of age, I'm dreading having to have the talk Mm -hmm. with him about how to handle himself if he gets pulled over or stopped by the police. And Mm -hmm. Wow. That, you know, that one right there just really makes me reflect on when I have two adult sons that when they turned 16 and got their license, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. It wasn't even in, you know, even in, I didn't think at all about what, you know, what to do if a police officer pulled them over. Yeah. It was just not even yeah. a consideration. Oh yeah. Me neither. It was a hundred percent celebration. It was liberation. Mm-hmm. It was freedom. Yeah. It was all the things, but it, it wasn't that thing. Right. Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of my big moments in the last month was um, a friend from high school. She married a black man and she posted a picture of her eight year old son on Facebook and then asked a couple of really hard questions that just felt like I got punched in the gut. And she asked, you know, at what point will you become afraid of my son? Mm. At what point when he is wearing a hoodie or not for that matter? Mm -hmm. Will you cross the street because you're afraid that my son will hurt you? And mind you, we're looking at eight-year-old him, like sweetest boy in the world. And then she asked, at what point when he walks past you, will you grab your purse and hold it in closer to your body? And yes, Mm -hmm. I feel gut punched. But of course, she is so right. That's her experience. We've seen this reiterated Mm -hmm. by people sharing their narratives on social, you know, and Mm -hmm. it just, it, it's, it's gotta stop. It leaves me so angry and also ashamed and guilty Mm -hmm. and all the feelings that many people are having in this conversation. Mm -hmm. And I would just say that people who are kind of stuck in sort of this land of denial about Mm -hmm. this, I think that getting into people's stories is the best way to help to understand something that you've not been a part of Mm -hmm. really until now. I know I had a young airman during the civil unrest. She was mobilized to help support the police during that time. Mm -hmm. And she said that when she, every time she goes out, she takes her military ID card Mm -hmm. just for protection. So that if uh, a 
police officer comes up to her, she can show that she is, you know, part of the military. Oh my gosh. And she even talked about at one time, at what point um, she had a gun put to her head. And so she was just explaining that she's really glad that these conversations are, are coming about because, um, you know, her and her family and, and friends and those that are close to her have been experiencing that for far too long. Yeah. And even as hard as it is, and as uncomfortable as it, as it is, it's a necessary conversation. Yeah, yeah. So we do, we want to touch on sort of this um, idea of this difficult dichotomy mm-hmm. between the police and Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. movements. And I saw something the other day that said, if you have a sticker that says Blue Lives Matter, then you don't really think Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And I I think that it's easy to oversimplify things in a time where emotions are really charged. And I don't think that that's quite fair to say. And I was having a conversation with a former um, LAPD officer and I was sharing with him the story about the airman who had a gun pulled out on her before she was able to share her military ID Mm -hmm. card. And he said, well, what were the circumstances surrounding Mm -hmm this incident and what about this and what about this what and he just went into sort of that investigator mode Mm -hmm. because that's the way that his brain is programmed because he is part of a band of brothers you know absolutely and I kind of pushed back a little bit and he said what if someone that you are really close to what if they lost the wrong limb in a surgery or what if the wrong treatment plan had been given to this person and it cause irrevocable, irreplaceable, you know, damage. damage, Mm -hmm. And that person was going to die. You know, would you ask the person, your friend sitting in the hotel bed, I'm sorry, not hotel bed, hospital bed, would you ask them, well, what did the doctor come? What did the doctor say when he came into you? And then when the nurse came in, did you ask the nurse about this? And then why didn't you ask the nurse about this? And did, then did you stand up and ask the doctor about this? You know, mm-hmm. and he just kind of laughed and he's like, okay, okay, okay. I see your point. I see your point. So, but, but that is really like the key and the crux and that's the empathy. It's not to bring all the stuff that you have with you in your head, your brain, your collective experience, and put that on someone mm-hmm. else's experience. That's not empathy. I, Actually, I don't even know if that's sympathy, really. You know, empathy is listening openly and validating the feelings of the person who has gone through something. But I have family members that are part of law enforcement, and I've seen, you know, spouses just really struggling with worrying about their safety and all of that. And I think, too, we can't look at it as we support good police officers that are really out there to protect and are really trying to do the right thing that, you know, uh, that, that we, we don't support black lives. You know, it's, it's not that either or. It's not, it's not that simple. And I no. know that some of our listeners are going to be really turned off by this. Yeah. And some of our listeners are going to be turned off by this no matter what we say. But just that is where kind of that empathy piece comes from. And I think as a human race, this is the piece that matters. Mm-hmm. Because just like we are learning and we're thinking about empathy as a verb it's an action it's something that we have to do it's not just something that is that we can cursorily think about I mean it's something that we really have to dig in deep and do and but we have to do it for everyone you know and so thinking about the police officer's wife who's waiting at home with their kids and wondering if her husband or or her partner is going to be shot on the job 
right now. And that's a real threat. Mm -hmm. And um, in talking with this former LAPD officer, he's shared that lots of people are trying to retire early. Lots Mm -hmm. of people are quitting. That morale is obviously at an all-time low. Mm -hmm. um, That so many of the people that he served with um, over his time there that were really active in the community, that they are just heartbroken Mm -hmm. by what is going on. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's not fair if we don't talk about that too. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, you know, where do we go from here? And we probably have more questions than answers Uh, at this point. Yeah. It's it's a journey. It's a journey and it's it's the beginning of a conversation. Yes. And so I think we've got to, you know, seek to understand and be understood, which is such a great quote by Steve Covey, right? Seek to understand, then be understood. You know, we gotta we have to to listen, we have to look within mm-hmm. before we look outward. Mm-hmm. Stay curious, read articles, books, podcasts, and you know what? They can it can be like we have talked about, Haley. It's it's very daunting. It's uh, it's really hard. It's tiring. Sometimes we, you know, after you read a really um, difficult story, to rest, mm-hmm. rest for a bit, take a yeah. break, go for a walk, go do something because um, it's hard and painful. I had to do a digital Sabbath this week. Yeah. I was way yeah. just overwhelmed by the heaviness of the world this week. Right. Yeah. And we've got to, you know, recognize where we are at today with mm-hmm. 400 years of bias and prejudice mm-hmm. and, and incidents. Mm-hmm. And so we, we recognize too, I know we talked about it early, you know, um, one podcast is not the answer. One, <laughs> no. you know, town hall by the top brass in the air force yeah. is not the answer. Um, one conversation with a coworker is not the answer, but you know what? It's a start. Yeah. You know, we have to continue yeah. to reevaluate our ideas and how we even perceive the world, how we even understand how it works. Because, you know, sometimes, you know, we can get that. And that's where these blind spots, like we, we, the way, the lens that we're looking through the, pers- the perspective, sometimes as we get curious and really start listening to understand other people's perspectives, our, our eyes are open. Like mm-hmm. we recognize, and like you were saying at the beginning, like, wow, you recognized that um, the way you were really, or you were just, we were, we didn't really understand what was going on. We were kind of um, ignorant mm-hmm. to what was sheltered. going on. Sheltered. Exactly. Yeah. Sheltered and socialized. Yeah. 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 So we recognize that today's podcast and conversations, mm-hmm. they may leave some feeling really uncomfortable. <laughs> Including my sweaty armpits. Yeah, so I'm just going to yeah, keep coming yeah. back to that as the theme from today's podcast. <laughs> sweaty butt. Yeah, sweaty fits. Sweaty fits. So feel free to reach out to us on social media at the Hot Wash Podcast anytime. Absolutely. And thank you so much for tuning in today. And if you're just kind of like us wondering how to start your own journey on this topic, here's what I've been doing so far. So just start by sitting with it, sit in it, mm-hmm. then sit in it some more. Yes. <laughs> and you might need to take a break a little bit and then yeah. come back and sit in it. Yep. Reach out to black friends that have been living in it mm-hmm. to offer empathy and support. And we then encourage you to diversify mm-hmm. your bookshelves. You guys, if you just Google top 10 books to read on anti-racism or systemic racism, or even if you just right now, probably if you go to Google and type in top 10 black books, like probably the list will pop up. Mm -hmm. You don't need to have an in to Mm -hmm. figure out what to be reading. I mean, it's, it's all out there. There's tons of lists circulating on social media. And actually we can put a link to in our show notes on our Facebook and Instagram pages, some suggestions 
that, you know, we have been finding. Mm -hmm. So diversify your bookshelves, your digital listening content, the shoot, even the music that you listen to, um, Amazon prime, they have a black history channel on, and, um, I've really been enjoying listening to that. Um, a lot of great music from just the Mm sixties on to present day. It's been great. Um, if you've never sat in your kitchen and cried to Otis Redding, I'm telling you, you're missing out. (laughs) (laughs) You're missing out. Um, and even the sermons that you guys have been watching online and then also, um, kind of really thinking about, and this is something I've kind of been doing, like who's in your inner circle. And this is something they talked about on the air force town hall as well. You know, if your inner circle looks and thinks like you, then I guarantee you're not getting the best advice out there. Remember together we're stronger than we could ever be apart. Thanks for listening.